Jeremiah Johnson is a Pennsylvania-based artisan, painter, and educator. He was raised on a fruit and flower farm in north-central Pennsylvania. He received his BFA from Tyler School of Art of Temple University before going on to get his MFA in print, paper, and book arts from Syracuse University. Johnson's work is included in several collections both regionally and internationally, including the State Museum of Pennsylvania, the Taubman Museum of Art in Roanoke, Virginia, and the Service Collection in Brussels, Belgium. Johnson manages a makerspace at Penn College, teaches drawing and printmaking at Lycoming College, Bucknell University, and Bloomsburg University, and works with his wife in their studio making art about culture, folklore, and survival. The Wynn Johnson Company is the cross-cultural collaborative team of Jeremiah Johnson and wife Ewan Wynn. Together they synthesize material from fashion, pop culture, folklore, and mysticism, making multi-layered maximalist paintings, drawings, and prints. The Job Johnson Project is directly based on the oral and written stories of life here in north-central Pennsylvania, as told through the drawings done by an alter ego named Job Johnson, who lived at the beginning of the Industrial Era, from 1860 to 1937. He can be found on Instagram, at Jeremiah Johnson Art. that's J-E-R-E-M-I-A-H-J-O-H-N-S-O-N-A-R-T, or his website, jeremiahjohnsonart.com. Hello. Hello Testing. there. How are you doing, uh, Jeremiah? <laughs> hey. That's one of your originals? Uh, no, this is my wife's, actually. She makes the masks. <laughs> it's her company. It's, uh, it's Eva Vintage Fashion. So we met initially, I think, because you were pulled into the first burlesque show that I did via your wife at the time, Jen. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. You and, and Jen were not going to be a couple for that much longer after that. Yeah, we had a we had a wild relationship. <laughs> so very, you know, like a very tumultuous time of life, I suppose. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah in a way, I mean, there were a lot of things going on. Uh, the great thing about Williamsport is we all just simply come together and we do our own things. Uh, we're all very independent about it. So when you have ideas and stuff, they kind of you get all these people that are participate and then it sort of uh, gets all crazy and explodes again. And then, and then when people get bored, they come back and start something else, you know? Mm. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of a weird place like that. Uh, you've got a lot of people that want to do things, but everybody's very independent minded about it. And so they just kind of do their own thing. We never, we, we, we never sit around and think about how to make money to do something or, or how to be professional about it. We just simply just go out and, do crazy stuff sometimes. <laughs> mm -hmm. A lot of people, I think, get involved because of boredom, you know, from mm -hmm. the area. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, boredom is boredom. For if you allow it to be, can be a great fertile ground for creativity. Yeah, exactly. Like the like the times right now. <laughs> yep. But so we met for burlesque. It was clear to me when you got on stage to, with Jen for rehearsals that you really enjoyed performing because you lit up like a little kid pretending to be this pussycat. Yep. <laughs> yep. And I didn't, yeah. I didn't even know that you were an artist back then. I just thought you were Jen's husband and oh great, you're getting right. involved. No, yeah, I, um, I, I dabbled in performance art back in, uh, I, I took a performance art history course back in undergraduate at college and uh, uh, a part of that class we actually had to do a performance piece at the end which was so-so, uh, uh, but later on I, I, uh, I had that big birthday book of, uh, of astrological signs, uh, and I read it about uh, October 15th, which is my birthday, 
um, my the quote for the day is all the world's a stage <laughs> and uh, on top of that I was born on the same day as uh, Oscar Wilde I think um, and uh, realized that it was so, something that sort of came natural to me uh, this performance aspect of my life um, in graduate school I, I took that on had the opportunity several times uh, every year they had this uh, every semester even they had this diversity in the arts uh, performance night where it was primarily like that and they were just like we've got a stage we've got a light do you want to do something and um, it started about just just me simply uh, doing um, uh, what I was doing was uh, uh, basically charades uh, you know name that movie in a sense it sort of started out of that and instead of actually trying to suggest what the movie was based on the title I would sit there and, and act out the entire movie like mime it out <laughs> just people thought it was like loony and kind of crazy because they had no clue what I was doing. Which sounds beautiful in its own way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, I actually really loved it. Um, I really loved doing that stuff uh, back then, but uh, haven't really gotten into it too much after that, unfortunately. Yeah. And so uh, this, this burlesque show, when it came up, it was sort of a uh, hearkening back to that. Yeah. Certainly when I get up on stage, you can't really see the audience because you've got a light on you. And so you, you sort of just do whatever, you know, whatever comes naturally. So it's great to shock people too, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so going through the years, uh, starting with, with you, you let me know where you were at that time artistically. I don't think you were teaching anything back then, were you? Um, uh, I was. I was teaching part-time uh, probably like, no, well, that, no, that was a gap of time when I got fired from my teaching job at Lyco. I maybe got fired, I'm not sure. And uh, <laughs> I got a job as an industrial printer um, for about two years, and maybe I was still working that job. Uh, after that job, I got laid off, uh, spent an enormous amount of time basically laid off. Um, the next fall, I was working as a kindergarten autistic support aide for about a year. Um, got too sick from that about that time. Then I got hired back at like in college. And then from there I started teaching at Bucknell, Bloomsburg, uh, Susquehanna. I taught a class there once. Uh, just, I'm a professional adjunct now. <laughs> yeah. I also have a part-time job now as a, a makerspace attendant. They opened up a makerspace over at uh, Penn college. Um, and I, I run it, but they only have 25 hours a week on that one. Mm. Yep. Well, you're, uh, you're going full steam ahead then right now. Yeah, I've got a lot of variety and it's unfortunately nothing solid though, you know, and right now that's uh, everything's uh, slacking off a bit. We don't know where, what things are going to be happening in the fall. <laughs> right, right. But that's the way I live right now. I save up money for the summer uh, to live off the summer months when they're slim and uh, then when I'm in the falls when the most busiest usually. Yep. So a big part of your life, well, obviously art is, is the focus of your life, but a big part of your life later became your current wife. How did you meet her? How did this happen? <laughs> um, well, uh, I moved out, um, moved into my own apartment right across the street from Lycoming College where I'm at today. And uh, uh, after that, I, uh, um, we were already friends on Facebook. Um, and I don't, neither of us know who friended who first, but she was a graphic designer uh, in Vietnam. And it was like, um, uh, I don't know. So one night I was making sauerkraut all right, and I posted a picture of it on Instagram or something, or no, on Facebook, and uh, um, she liked it. She was only one of the five people, five people that liked the photo, 
And uh, because of it, I was like, I wonder if she knows how to make kimchi, you know, because I was into this fermentation thing for a bit. And um, so I asked her and she got right back to me, like right away, practically, and rattled off the recipe. And I did it sort of apologetically because I only thought kimchi was a Korean thing and I knew she was from Vietnam. And so I just honestly wanted to know how to make kimchi. And so, uh, but no, they, all over Southeast Asia, they, they eat kimchi too. And uh, she knew how to make it. And uh, that's how we got talking as friends. Um, and uh, for about a month or so. And then um, uh, then she wanted to date me. And it was kind of dangerous because we were upping the relationship a little bit from friends when we started Skyping with each other. <laughs> and it was like, uh-oh, now it's like pushing beyond. And then I thought, well, why not? You know, we could be, we could date. Why? Because of the internet, we can date. You can date anyone in the world, you know. Like as long as they have internet service, and you do. And so we started dating, and um, it was very, very serious pretty quickly. It just simply, uh, uh, even though we didn't see each other, um, we started dating each other. And, and uh, she was telling me these things like this was supposed to happen. She's very, um, how do you say, like. Um, uh, uh, spiritual in her beliefs and she believed that this was supposed to happen. She believes in afterlives and, and that we met uh, somewhere previous in a previous life. Well, um, uh, I don't know. And uh, so I just simply started dating her and what it was doing was keeping me out of trouble. <laughs> um, because when I was single, I was, I, I have this haphazard way of indulging too much when I'm single, uh, you know, in the, in the good life a bit. And so I sit around the house and they, uh, I wonder what, uh, trouble I can get myself into a little bit, uh, end up going out to the bars too much. Um, mainly just, uh, and, and mostly just drinking at home, just simply drinking when I work on my art, uh, it sort of releases a creativity in you sometimes. So, uh, but now that I was dating a girl, uh, who was 12 hours difference, um, she could only see me at nighttime. That's when she was up. And, uh, so, uh, it was a reason to stay home, a, re a good reason to stay home at night. And, um, and she was so, she's so very dedicated. Like I was being to the rela relationship that, um, I literally leave my computer on all night long while I was sleeping and she'd watch me sleep. Uh, cause she didn't have very much to do during the day during the afternoon their day starts at uh, early in the morning. Uh, they get up at like five, four in the morning. Uh, they basically work and do things till about noon. And then they sleep throughout the midday because it's just too hot in Vietnam. And uh, um, so simply she just sits in a room all day and uh, uh, sits there with their video camera on me, watching me on Skype while I sleep at night. Yeah. And so I got used to doing that. Yeah. <laughs> that is adorable. So the next thing we had to do is obviously I had to come meet her and, uh, um, I didn't realize I, I watched the, it was funny. I watched the documentary on, uh, dating women in Southeast Asia after I came back, I think, and didn't realize what trouble I could have got myself into. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you're talking about long distance from different countries and some countries yeah. that are not economically well off, that is a, something you have to be concerned with. Yeah, they, uh, there's a tendency for, uh, if you go to Southeast Asia, you meet somebody online, even, even carry on long relationships before you even actually meet them. Uh, but the stories in that documentary were about basically uh, uh, people getting hijacked when they went there. Uh, went there, fell for the story, fell in love, met the family, and in a way they were like, the family was like, okay, now you want to marry our daughter. 
um, you know, so you're going to uh, have to pay us $2 million or something like that, you know, uh, or, you know, or they'll hold you hostage. Um, I mean, they picked me up from the airport. Um, nobody speaks English in that in Vietnam very much, at least uh, not a lot, um, just mainly in the big city, but where they took me, <laughs> uh, not a single person. And, uh, um, you know, so I was like, I was in it for the ride. Uh, I have a tendency to do that, though, you know, just jump off and <laughs> see what happens. Uh, ever since I went to Peru a few years earlier, um, uh, I went to uh, uh, on a on a 29 day trip with my friends uh, to the Amazon jungle. And then we went to uh, Machu Picchu and the Quitos and all those places. And um, I, I, I was always nervous about going to foreign countries that didn't speak English. Um, and then after that trip, I was like, oh, I can do this, <laughs> you know. And so that's what made me want to go. And uh, of course, when we met up in person, I saw that she grew up on a farm. Uh, they had chickens and they had tree fruit, a lot like the way I grew up. And so we had all of our interests were the same, pretty much. And yeah, we yeah. realized we had everything in common. Yeah, not just, uh, not just kimchi. Yeah. Honestly, though, I was just thinking about uh, having a conversation with somebody from around the world. I had another girl that once friended me on Facebook, uh, too, that was from um, the Philippines. And that was the only person that ac ever actually, uh, and I usually delete those, too, when they friend you. Um, but she was sort of somebody that was generally looking for a relationship, um, looking for a way to get in the country. And so it, it wasn't really like that, because um, Eva had she had lots of guys after. And so it, it was kind of annoying to me in a weird way. It was like, there were so many uh, guy friends from around the world that she had, that it was like, um, it was just weird. It was just like, um, Oh, I don't know. I don't know about this. It, it, you know, but honestly we had, a, we had so much in common when I went there, we, we made art together. Um, uh, she's even more creative than me. She works 10 times harder than I do. Uh, so her ambition levels like, <laughs> way up yeah and uh um it's just like we we just feed off of each other yeah. that's what it sounds like yeah your work has been commissioned all over the place when i met you during the burlesque stuff and then you got back into it when did you start to travel around to commission your artwork well um i uh around that time uh it was 2009 when i think i got my big break when i was working on an industrial screen printing job uh the most important thing is uh well getting into a gallery in a sense and um I, uh, it, it took a long time. It was through a friend uh, that I went to graduate school with. He was teaching down in Richmond, Virginia. And he got, um, uh, he said, hey, this gallery I'm with, uh, he would, this guy, John, he'd really like your work uh, if you sent it to him. So I, I sent him a packet of my images of my work and uh, my resume. And, uh, um, you know, you never hear back from him when you do that. And so my friend, like maybe, a year later or six months later or something, next time he saw me, he was like, oh, hey, did you ever hear about hear back from John about that? And I was like, no, I never heard about it, back about it. And he was like, oh, I'll have to go tell him something. Well, then another six months goes by and all of a sudden they get an email um, during the summer. And uh, he, uh, th I think that was like 2009, maybe 2008. And uh, he, um, uh, the gallery contacted me and they said, hey, we're doing a show in two weeks. And uh, we want to take on some of your work for it. Uh, you got to get mail it down here right away. And I knew that was a test, you know, or at least I thought it took it that way. So I sent work right down there, some prints, because it was like a low budget show, uh, cheap art show sort of thing. And um, sent them some prints. Uh, they really liked the work. And uh, 
so I made it upon myself to drive down there the next November and uh, showed him a lot of stuff and he took a lot of it, kept it for the gallery. Uh, well, he does all the art fairs. The only way he makes money and the, the, the most of the way the galleries in other cities besides New York make money is through the art fairs. Uh, um, and uh, so he uh, featured my work in New York at uh, Scope. Uh, and I think that was 20, 2009. Uh, really, my, my, the biggest paintings I had, uh, it was so exciting. And uh, two of them sold on the, on the last night, last, last hour of the last night. Awesome. And uh, from there, I got a little bit, you know, it was, uh, it was pretty exciting. Um, and uh, that's sort of a, I don't know, after that, it, 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 it rolled for a while, you know, it's ups and downs. Uh, but uh, through that connection, I made other connections and got into other galleries. There's relationships with galleries fell apart. I picked up new galleries. It's kind of, it's a weird, it's a weird game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This, but, the art versus commerce game. It, yeah yeah and with art yeah. with when you're a freelancer that's just that's how life is right right yeah yeah it's um yeah it's interesting but i got to know it uh uh quite a quite a bit now and i've been i've been very lucky to be able to get into uh art fairs every year and uh or try to keep up with that and uh you know secret to that is just simply don't try to not burn any bridges <laughs> right yeah looking at your your resume um you it really you know you did you did a bunch of work until 2009 and after that it skyrocketed so much stuff and i guess it all yeah. stems from building that resume nope my my work has already been in this gallery here in new york oh you saw it is that kind of how it went um yeah sort of i always try to create a lot of work so even before i had any representation or um uh, i was i was still making a lot of work um i think the job johnson project that came about prior to that but at the time i was getting into i was getting some solo shows at art centers and things around central pennsylvania um as far down as kutztown and up in wellsboro um and the job johnson project was fairly successful with that um it first started with the uh invite from a friend of mine that worked at the uh, state uh uh she worked for the uh, uh down in harrisburg for the um uh the Oh, what do they call the dome? They're 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 Congress building or something. She was like a assistant to a uh, uh, a politician or something like that. And she said how they have art exhibitions at the state capitol, and uh, um, all you have to do is simply uh, notify them, contact them about it, and they get back to you about it. And uh, yeah, so they wanted to do a Joe Johnson show there because it was uh, art about Pennsylvania in a historical context. And so uh, they said, all right, you need 24 pieces. At the time, I only had three, <laughs> three Job Johnson works. So I, I cranked out 24 works uh, in less than four months or something like that. Wow. Yeah, and uh, I, I realized I only needed about 20. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so, uh, that, so that, that project took off. Like, uh, and at the same time, that was just a side project. I was still working on my other paintings uh, because they were, uh, the contemporary world wasn't going to buy it. The Job Johnson was sort of a, uh, a, a reaction to uh, contemporary art. It, it was something that I wanted to be so old and out of place that it was, you know, that it wouldn't, I, I kind of knew it wouldn't be accepted or even recognized in the, in the modern art world. Um, and I, it, it's sort of a rebellious sort of thing against it in a sense. Yeah. yeah. I was also, I was also doing it to, uh, 
uh, sort of poke fun at um, history in a sense um, that uh, a lot of history is really uh, folklore, you know, it's stories carried down from, you know, generations. Uh, some of it's true, some of it's, uh, you know, not based on fact, really. Yeah. Right. It was stuff I was fascinated in, too. I grew up with it. Yeah. Talking about your litany of work uh, mm -hmm. in terms of where it's been commissioned. And then Job Johnson, you have a very articulated, it seems like, vision or series of visions. So as a dynamic artisan, visual artist, was that how you would put yourself? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, in a sense, uh, what I do is um, I, uh, my work is based on the personal. Uh, the influences are uh, cult culture, folklore, uh, healthcare I'm interested in, uh, privilege and survival. Um, so it's sort of based around those areas. The work itself is, isn't recognized necessarily for um, its uh, uh, formal con characteristics. Um, it's more recognized, uh, what ties it together is more of its content. Um, because I tend to work in uh, painting, I work in sculpture, printmaking, and drawing. So it's a really combination of things. Uh, the reason to branch out even to Job Johnson was because I wanted to go in that direction. I wanted to make this whole series about, uh, specifically about folklore. I was interested in all these local stories. And so I created an alter ego to do that for me. Um, to be able to go in that direction to still keep working the modern work I do. But my work is very schizophrenic almost. Um, uh, I uh, make these maximalist paintings, uh, which are, uh, in me, it's the way that the internet is in a sense that you can flash from one idea to the next and I try to put it all into one painting um, uh, at the present time that I'm making the painting. And uh, other than that, I've come up with these other ideas to make work um, uh, the credit card houses with a big project where I was uh, making uh, scale models of houses from the local area that were being torn down. Um, I lived right around the Williamsport Hospital and uh, uh, they were demolishing houses all around that area since 2009, you know, the housing market collapse and all that. And uh, I started making these scale models of houses out of credit card applications that I've saved up since uh, 1997. Um, I love uh, found objects. So, uh, you know, it's like when I started getting these credit card applications, I was I wanted to do something about them, you know, to get back at the companies that were sending them to me. As soon as I graduated college, you were just getting two a week, I think, you know, and so it was something you couldn't, I couldn't deny, you know, couldn't pass up. And uh, eventually then the housing market collapsed. I had an idea for it, <laughs> something to pull together. Yeah. So I make those and then, then I also use other found materials to make pieces that sort of uh, reference uh, uh, cultural and uh, uh, sometimes political and um, particularly healthcare with the, uh, the church that I made as well, the, pill, the church that I made out of my own pill bottles. Yeah. Uh, they also deal with personal elements because it's like uh, the reason I had pill bottles is because I live with ulcerative colitis and I take, um, I take on average five pills a day. Uh, since 2001, since I was diagnosed with it. Yeah. What was it you're diagnosed with? Uh, ulcerative colitis. It's like uh, Crohn's disease, or uh, the general category is inflammatory bowel disease. Yep. <laughs> so basically, fun, not fun stuff. Yeah, yeah. You basically bleed when you. <laughs> yeah, it's not pretty, but um, you know, it's something that it's 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 not talked about too much because people are embarrassed about it usually to have it. So I'm sort of an I sort of think of myself as an advocate for it. <laughs> Good. Yeah. So what, if you could possibly synthesize it into one statement, what would you say your artistic vision is? 
Oh gosh. Yeah. That's a, that's the toughest part. Um, well, it's, um, uh, it's simply, uh, my vision, uh, it's, it stems from my, uh, my own personal inspiration. Um, and like I said, that inspiration is, uh, also infused with culture, folklore, healthcare, and survival. Most importantly, <laughs> you, you've got to, yeah, it's really tough with mine, but just, just simply because I throw everything in there. I mean, I, I throw everything in the kitchen sink as well. Like it's like when I'm working on a painting, I'll, I'll be everything that I'm influenced by will sort of feed into it some way. If I happen to be, uh, right now I'm obsessed with prints and, uh, and also, uh, uh, thinking about the dead Kennedys as far as music and uh, been watching films by um, David Cronenberg uh, lately. Mm. So that sort of finds its way into the work. And um, at the same time, I'm thinking of political things that are happening in the news um, uh, prior to this, uh, prior to the uh, COVID-19, the epidemic, um, in a sense, I was thinking about uh, uh, privilege and uh, rich people versus poor people um, you know, ideas and all of that sort of comes together in, in the same painting. I'll actually put it all in there. Um, I'll have maybe one general theme for the painting, but then, uh, and then just enter into it from all different angles. Um, uh, the last painting I did, the one that I showed you uh, was um, uh, the Prince uh, Riding the Tiger. Um, and that was a collaborative with my wife. Uh, so we, we put that under Wynn Johnson Company. Um, but uh, with that painting, I, I was the one that sort of developed the idea for that painting in particular. Um, her original image was a princess riding a tiger. Um, the tiger represents me in her eyes because uh, um, it's my zodiac from uh, Chinese zodiac. Uh, I'm a tiger. And uh, um, she's sort of represented by the princess. So I use that as the main thing that ties the painting together. Uh, put that image into it. Um, and then uh, on top of that, I build up, well, the tiger's moving a certain direction. And um, I believe that as a, a, a wishful thinking for her life, um, in a sense. So I also added things that had to do with her past, um, growing up in Vietnam, uh, as well as things for the future that she wants to be a fashion designer. So you've got uh, images of Versace, you've got uh, images of different fashion designers that are painted in the background. Um, uh, along with a few motifs that I use in all the paintings, like flowers is a common one. The, re the only reason I put flowers in the paintings is because they're just so messy and ugly that the, when you put flowers in, it makes them look beautiful. So if people don't have anything to say about the painting at all, they'll be like, oh, it's got, those are very beautiful flowers. My mom once said that once when she saw them. It's the only thing she had to say about them, <laughs> you know. So keeping your audience in mind. Yeah, yeah, a little bit, yeah. And, uh, um, but other than that, it's, that's how the general theme sort of works. Uh, right now I'm working on a painting that has this in it, which is, uh, uh, this was a, a, an idea that was based on a dead milkman song. Uh, this one song that was, uh, about a woman who had dollar signs in her eyes and she was so blind. She couldn't see anything because she was, a uh, one, all she saw was money. That was sense. dead milkman or dead Kennedy's? Uh, dead milkman okay. actually. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and so, uh, yeah, uh, dollar signs in the eyes. So I imagine what would happen if you had uh, skulls that were, you know, people that were born with no eyes, uh, but they had these sort of dollar signs embedded into their skull. So they were blind and all they could see was money um, in a sense. And so it sort of came out of that idea. 
um, well, working at the makerspace, I had to learn how to 3D print. So this is actually a 3D print. Uh, so I went directly from the idea to the final product really quickly. Yeah. Wow. It took about 36 hours to print. But um, I, uh, I printed it physically, and it was a lot easier to make that way. Originally, I was going to cast it out of clay and uh, using a skull uh, as well and plaster. But um, I was able to 3D print it, so that's very nice. Um, and whoops, then I also used, uh, I did the same thing with the painting. Uh, so I, I added the skulls in the painting, which you can, if I tilt over that way, you can kind of see it in the background there. It's pretty big. It's uh, six feet by four feet that I'm working on. And uh, I screen printed that in the background. And uh, I start layering images from both sides of the painting. I work on this uh, frosted mylar. Um, and uh, so you can paint all the details on it first, flip it over. And, and then put all the background colors in and then flip it over and work on the front. And it, it makes the, makes the images look very flat. Yeah. Very nice look. What is your process generally? Do you, do you come up with an idea first or do you, are you more of a hands-on visceral? You just, you just start doing something and then the ideas come about or is it a mixture of everything? It's, it's actually a bit of both. Um, uh, either I'll start with the idea. A lot of times when I create the sculptures, I start with, I begin with ideas. Um, like I have this idea in my head to uh, uh, construct a large church out of pill bottles. And since the pill bottles are amber and clear, you know, you could set, uh, project light through it. Um, and so I had that idea and I eventually built it. Um, uh, or so it works that way a lot of times with sculptures. With painting, I tend to work the opposite. I tend to, uh, I might start with some little general thing I want to put into a painting, but I'll just start putting stuff into a painting. Um, working on it, tiny little brushes a lot of times and just add stuff to areas, um, you know, as I'm working. Sort of a, it's sort of a live conversation with uh, what's happening in the present moment. You had referenced your, your art as being rather schizophrenic, is that right? Mm-hmm. There is a thing that is completely synchronistic in my world right now and you talking about this. And to be fair, this was, this was brought about by preparing for you four artists today, looking at your work and then just allowing my creative mind to flow and get curious about different things. But I was actually looking for something entirely different. Just, it was, I think it was sociopolitically related when I happened upon this article and I was like, this is for Jeremiah's interview. So this is from a website called idealart.com. That's I-D-E-E-L-A-R-T. Mm -hmm. And the article is called The Week in Abstract Art Hyphen Patterns and Randomness. And this is from October 20th of 2016. It doesn't list a writer. Revelation is often associated with abstract art. Sometimes a revelation inspires an artist to begin working. Other times, a revelatory moment lets an artist know a work is done. Viewers frequently experience revelations in the presence of abstract art, sometimes intellectually, sometimes viscerally, as in the sudden awareness of a different state of mind. Psychiatrists believe one of the early symptoms of schizophrenia is when a person begins interpreting delusions as revelations, called apophania. This phenomenon arises when one begins interpreting randomness as a pattern. Randomania, the opposite of apophania, is when you actually do experience a revelation, but you confuse it for delusion, or when a pattern does exist, but you fail to notice it. Between these two extremes is agenticity. According to Michael Shermer, founder of the Skeptic Society, 
Agenticity is the tendency to infuse patterns with meaning, intention, and agency. In other words, the pattern is real but meaningless, yet we assign it meaning. Strangely, we sometimes experience all three when we look at abstract art. We fail to notice the patterns or perceive patterns where there are none, or assign meaning unintended by the artist. Is it strange that these behaviors are associated only with mental illness? They could easily also be related to inspiration, creativity, and genius. We say, bring on the patterns, the revelations, and the assigned meaning. The sociopolitical thing that I was looking for was articulated in this one passage called apophania. This phenomenon arises when one begins interpreting randomness as a pattern. So this was, there, there are lots of people that they, their knee-jerk reaction to any news is, uh, is some kind of conspiracy theory, trying to find something like intentional behind something. Mm-hmm. Um, randomania, the opposite of apophenia, is when, when a pattern does exist, but you fail to notice it. More often than not, I'm perplexed by people that are unable to question authority at all. And they, you can see the pattern throughout your life of, of dysfunctional authority the way it functions. Mm-hmm. And so many people need to feel like the world makes sense and is secure and everything's in order. So they never question authority. Right. Um, whereas the reality, the truth is that there's a mixed bag of this stuff going on all the time, which is also what this person is saying is the foundation for really good art. Hmm. Would you, would you agree? What are your thoughts on what was written there? Oh yeah. I, uh, yeah, I sort of agree with it. Um, in a sense, uh, uh, you know, there's there's different ways to go about it. The, what's most important is to find uh, to understand if they're if if they seem to be tr- being true to themselves as they're working on it. And uh, I think that goes with a lot of things. Jeremiah, thank you so much for giving me your time. This has been oh, a absolutely. Treat. Yeah. Yeah. Great to see your face again, man. Oh yeah, you too. <laughs> your your beautiful rosy smiling face. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, bye. Bye.